Hi, this is Tawny from the Dirty Bits Podcast, and you're listening to Concession Stand on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. You're listening to the Concession Stand Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. From movies and TV to consoles and video games, don't let your geek flag fly with your hosts, Nick Howe and Andy Nelson. Welcome back to the Concession Stand Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we're glad to have you on board. This is episode number 48. I'm your host, Nick Howell, and sitting across from me, Mr. Andy Nelson. How are you, sir? I am fantastic. And coming up later in this show, we are going to talk about Keanu Reeves and some upcoming projects, or maybe not. Ooh. Uh, Netflix is going to be raising their prices, apparently. Aww. We had a Justice League trailer. We had a Pacific Rim trailer. Oh, and we had a whole nother trailer that just dropped like moments ago. I say we crack a beer and get right into it. Mm. Mm. Well, we're going to first start this off, Andy, with a spoiler alert. Oh, spoiler alert. man. Spoiler alert. Oh, man. Yeah, it's there. there this is going to be full <laughs> of spoilers. <laughs> well, we're going to try and not spoil too much of it, but we wanted to give you guys a heads up. We are going to be talking about... Not only the last Jedi trailer that we just oh, saw during Monday Night Football man. coming to you almost live here on the concession stand, but the main story that we're going to talk about tonight is our viewing today of Blade Runner 2049 Yes, and the previous film as well that we have to talk about to kind of tie it all together. It's to basically it all together. A, a big Blade Runner discussion. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So without further ado, let's jump right in to the last Jedi trailer. So this came on tonight. It's been very anticipated. They've marketed the hell out of it. I don't think I've ever seen this much marketing for a trailer before. Not only a film, but just they've been marketing the marketing. Right. What, so if, if you were watching that train wreck of a football game leading up to this, the Bears went into halftime losing 3-2, to two, a baseball score. Barely. But to as, it was as, two to nothing. So for they, the whole they go first back half. to the studio on ESPN. They do like a cup, like a two minutes or something, and then they send it back out to the stadium in Chicago. And what do we have? We have first order stormtroopers marching on the field to premiere the trailer. So this didn't just go to like the TV audience. <laughs> Apparently, the 60,000 people at Soldier Field tonight saw this trailer as well, and it was all a bunch of pomp and circumstance. Ryan Johnson and, and and Luke Skywalker himself have come out and said, "Please, if you want to avoid spoilers, and if you don't want to learn things about this." trailer or this movie we're about to make don't see this trailer i couldn't help myself of course you not. couldn't help yourself wow what a trailer we got here uh th- oh my first impressions were okay okay oh oh god that's me oh oh god that went dark yeah, what, what happened yes it did yes it did i mean i guess you have to get to a point where you put these characters in some sort of peril but i mean it's it's looking pretty dark and pretty grim for our our heroes as we you know when my last saw our heroes uh, it's it's you know <laughs> It's it, it looks like we're going to get Kylo Ren blowing up Princess Leia. Uh, you know, it looks like we're going to have Ray possibly siding with Kylo Ren. I, I, I don't know. It's nice to see Mark Hamill actually deliver some lines yeah. again, you know, because yeah. all he did was just make a bunch of faces in the in the Force Awakens. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, it, it gave us a ton, but didn't give us that much. We didn't see any of Benicio Del Toro's character. We didn't see any of Laura Dern's character. We did see the little uh, Ewoks 2.0, the Pogs or whatever those things are called, those little yeah, furry what, guys. I, yeah. 
Uh, we got to see a Chewbacca shot. I did not see a shot of Ron Solo. It was a very or digital. Or Han Solo, or, or you know, the, the, my theory from last week or two weeks ago. But. It was a very digital uh, Chewbacca, I noticed. That stood out to me. The movie definitely has a different look as far as like cinematography from yeah. the J.J. version. Um, there, there it seemed to be a lot brighter colors and a lot of cool things done with the reflection. We saw some really cool stuff with Captain Phasma and like, some things and plenty of lightsaber shots. You mean Brienne of Toth. Yeah, exactly. I mean... Um, there's there's not much to say about this. We could we could uh, we could analyze it frame by frame, but you know the, we'll leave that up to the internet people right. to do all of that. <laughs> we, not only does Kylo clip his dad into Force Awakens, but now he, he's going to kill mom too. What is it? Oh God, he's he's mean. He's he's mean, man. He's just mean. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, like it wets our whistle enough. We're just a little over two months away from this finally getting to us. This is probably the last trailer we're going to get, and we can speculate all we want, and all the toys are going to come out, and we can start to sort of make our own opinions and theories of what's going to happen. But at this point, just bring it. I want to see it at this point. We, I, I immediately went to the internet, as you know, sitting right next to you, and I got us four tickets for our, you and I and a couple others. I didn't know that. My wife as well. Oh, you didn't? Oh. oh. Well, yeah, we have tickets to opening night in Culver oh, City. So there you go. Fantastic. Done and done. 10 o'clock show. Well, speaking of movies, today we went to see Blade Runner 2049, starring Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford, and a whole cast of all kinds of new characters. Uh, going into this, I was a little bit scared, if I'm going to be honest. Me too. I was a little bit skeptical that they were going to be able to pull this off. And and going into it, the initial thing that I kind of went, oh, was the runtime. The runtime yeah. of 153 minutes. And yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, so they're going to they're gonna pace this properly. This is going to be almost three hours, two and a, at least two and a half hours long at this point. So, yeah, I, I was a pleasantly surprised to see that about the runtime. What I want to start out by talking about first, though, is something that you said last week, and I'd like for you to, I think you hinted about it on the show last week, you did a viewing recently of the original director's cut or final cut, whichever one you watched, and uh, had some thoughts. Right, so here's, I'm, I'm going to get skewered for this more than likely, but I'll just, I'll just come right out and say it. The last time I really sat down and watched Blade Runner was was maybe the director's cut. I, okay, was in college and, and a long time ago, and in college, you see that movie, and it was probably 12, 15 years after it was made, and it was the greatest sci-fi movie ever made that wasn't Star Wars, right? Um, and it and it was this visual spectacle at the time, and cut to a new version of myself going back, and I want to prepare myself to watch this movie again to, to be ready for this movie because I knew we were going to go see it on Monday, and uh, I went back and I watched the final cut, whatever version you want to... There's slight changes that have been made over time sure. if, if you're a fan of these movies or this movie. It's Ridley's cut. Sure. I, I didn't like it. You know, it, it, here's what I mean by that. You talked about the two hour and 45 minute runtime that we just saw. There's certainly a slow pace to it. There's a build, there's a burn it. You, you, you live in that world and you kind of sort of like slog through it, even in the movie we just saw. But in the last movie, uh, it, it was also that just getting in that, like in that world and it's slow and it's slow and it's slow. And there's not a lot of action in the original Blade Runner. No. And not much happens. And like I said, it's visually, it's a, it's a treat. It was for 1982, the stuff that we saw, the practical effects that they, that they had of, of, of Los Angeles and their vision of it, um, still holds up today and it still works. Like some of the costumes maybe seem kind of eighties, but everything else about it still would like, it still kind of works even 35 years later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't like it so much. And, and I think I had been sort of duped all these years as, you know, this, champion of sci-fi and loving all this stuff and of course i love harrison ford like blade runner this blade runner that and the, you know there's a legion of people that think that this movie is 
the greatest sci-fi ever movie ever made. I mean, I think it's number 97 in the uh, the AFI top 100 or something like that. Yeah. Um, I thought it was in the and, 60s. And, uh, last I read, you could be right. But, you know, it's it's revered. And deservedly so for what it was and at the time, maybe. But if you just look at it from a story from point A to point B, it's it's slow and it's methodical and it's it's just kind of there. That's just my opinion. And again, I'm going to get skewered for this. But going into this movie, I had a bit of trepidation of like, all right, are we just going to see another sort of something like that? How much of this is going to be Ridley Scott? How much of this is going to be Denis Villeneuve? Um, and I, I guess I'll let you take it from here uh, and and just kind of take us through our experience because we had a very similar experience to both of us having talked about it and we're going to yeah. you know we'll, we'll have some things we may disagree about but just give me like your initial thoughts too well i want to set a baseline here of this so it just opened this past weekend it had a a late opening on thursday just throw some numbers out there to set the context for the rest of the conversation so the budget for this film was 150 million dollars and that's after all of the rebates and incentives so i would assume that on paper it was a 200 million dollar film sure um it only made $33 million domestically this opening weekend. So again, on paper, you would look at that as an abject failure sure. uh, of, of, of marketing, if you will, even though it's been all over the place yeah. for the last, I don't know, six months. Uh, and the interesting one that I took away from this was that of the domestic audience, 63% of that audience was males over 35 was this to be something that you would expect? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think you could really market that to new generation of of people as well as you possibly could. I mean, that's if you think of the the number of people that saw it, like four thousand people. If you compare those numbers to the same number of screens that it was released at, and it opened at one hundred eighteen million, that's a reboot of an original property. Blade Runner is a reboot of an original property. What I'm getting at is, I, I think the built-in audience is the people that went and saw this one. Yeah. Um. Sort of out of like this. Uh, I. In a way, you kind of need to have seen the first one to to understand where this movie goes. It's almost kind of imperative in a way. I hate to say that because a movie shouldn't be like that, but I, I feel like this one is. What do you think? Don't you think you've, you have to have seen the first one oh, absolutely. to kind of know where you're going with this? Um, To an extent. I think they do enough of a job with the trailers and enough of a job with the uh, text at the beginning to let you know what was sure. going on. And it's been around for 30 years. It's hard to be a movie fan and not either have seen Blade Runner or at least understand the what basic the concept plot was. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It, it, I mean, it's about human, uh, artificial humans. Yeah. Right? And the, the big question that really never gets answered is, right. are you a human or are you a replicant? You know, are you an artificial person? That's where this really comes down. So to answer your question directly, I don't think you have to. I think you'll enjoy the experience 10 times more. Absolutely. And you'll put it all together as one giant masterpiece yeah. of of storytelling uh, put all together. And they still haven't really finished that. But from the first film perspective, I think the mess of all of the different cuts, fiddling around with the different script rewrites, and all of the, the it was just a mess of a production. Sure. Uh, but getting to what we'll call Ridley's cut or the final cut, uh, I think it was in 1990. I think it, was, it might have been later than that, but I, I don't okay. remember off the top of my head. But yeah, oh, that's right. I think the director like if you, was, if you buy it on Apple iTunes right now, it's the final cut. Right. And I think it's like 10 bucks this week. So if you want, I think there's even a remastered version yes. out there now. Of yeah. The, yeah. Know. Yeah. 4K, whatever. Sure. Sure. Uh, so yeah, going into this film, I expected more. I did not know these numbers before we went to see it today, which is Monday. So yeah. we've seen it after the that opening weekend. Um, I'm a little bit disturbed, and I'm wondering how many other kind of auxiliary elements played into people not going to see this film. Yeah, I don't want to get too wrapped up in the minutia of the numbers, so to speak, before because we really want to talk about the yeah. movie. The only other thing I'll say about that, I think that the two-hour and 45-minute runtime is a part of that. There's only a certain number of shows you can do per day. 
with a with a nearly three hour movie as opposed to a ninety minute or a two hour movie. You could almost do twice as many shows, which could potentially generate twice as much box office. Sure, that's the only thing I will say about that. But as far as the numbers go, uh, it's it's underperforming domestically what they thought it would, and I expected it to be bigger. I think they tracked it to be whatever. But let's talk about the actual movie. I was skeptical first of all about Ryan Gosling be able to being able to do this right this is la la land guy and yes he did driver with like some actiony movies but from the get-go he had me right and we learn right away that he's a replicant and we learn like he's basically deckard 2.0 um uh, i was thrilled how it all sets up but we're right in that world we see flying cars we see this bleak and by the way um if i have to take anything away from this movie i will say that for those of us worried about a drought in los angeles the future is very wet <laughs> We are good when it comes to the future. We don't have to worry about water anymore come 20 years if this all comes true. True. Just want to throw that out there. It rains, just like in the first movie, it rains all the damn time. You know, throughout the entire film, it was raining. Yes, raining water. There's just it's just water everywhere. I didn't. Yeah, water and trash. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's what it is. So right away we 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 join uh, we join K, which is Ryan Gosling's character, as he is going to find a replicant to put him down or take him back or whatever. Retire him. Yes, retire them in whatever form that would be, whether it's to capture him or to kill him. And of course, that replicant that we see first is Dave Batista of Wrestling and Guardians of the Galaxy fame. And right away, I think you're you're in on it because it's like okay. Like that just that adds like a certain weight to it, literally, like right off the bat, like he's got to fight this guy and we realize what he's capable of. They don't reveal that that K is a replicant right away, but you kind of get the gist of the fact that because he's so powerful, he could take this guy down so quickly that, yes, he's a replicant, which sort of changes the game as far as like the the Blade Runner thing, because, of course, we all know the whole thing about the original Blade Runner is the this like pride and true debate of is Deckard Harrison Ford's character is he a replicant this movie the main character it they don't even like they don't even leave it to question it's like we know within the first 15 minutes that this guy is a replicant chasing other replicants meaning Ryan Gosling's character not Harrison Ford correct correct well I went into this with the same feeling and there was this moment that I had uh after uh the the intro scene with Batista where they show him returning to the mm-hmm. uh, the LAPD yeah. and it's that same kind of shot and feeling that you get flying in from the first movie where it's all scene and it's all cinema and and cinematography you're seeing that dystopian Los Angeles yes. uh flying cars and big neon kind of projections almost like Tokyo on steroids yeah just buildings everywhere there's no like there's yeah. no streets or there's parks there's a giant seawall yeah and, and it's this crazy kind of just industrial, almost robotic future yeah. kind of music going on. And I was just, I, I had this moment where I remember, okay, this is going to be all right. This is going to be fine. This is, this is going to be good. I'm really about to enjoy this. And, and I did. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this film. There are definitely some nitpicks that I'm going to call out here as we go through this discussion. But four, four and a half out of five stars for me. Uh, as far as overall thoughts on the film, uh, standouts for me were absolutely um, the music was. I don't. I can't. I haven't decided whether I liked it or not. Yeah. It was a little bit too just blatty and in your face, but it works and for it, that kind of atmosphere. It keeps the spirit of the Vangela score from the first movie, yes. right? Like it, there's that. They even actually hint at that theme at the very end. Like, I know we're not doing spoilers, but I don't want to like really spoil everything. Oh, we're spoilers, but um, we, we spoiler alerted. At yeah, the beginning. we did. So, I, yeah, I mean, my my other big takeaway was was uh, it, it 
for me, and it's just because I'm a fan of him, it almost took like an hour to over an hour before we ever see Harrison Ford. Yeah. Oh, like well, it's more all set up. It's yeah. all set up for like the first hour and 15, maybe hour and 20. And then when he finally comes to uh, to meet Deckard, there's a there's a bunch of other things that play there. But when we finally see Deckard in his current form where he's at and we, you know, that's like a cool pivotal moment. But the rest of the movie leading up to that point is is all set up as far as like him as a as a cop who's a replicant and he's not sure if he wants to do it anymore. And there's this mystery that's sort of unraveling about maybe there is a like they find a set of bones um, that may have been Rachel's or that were Rachel's, which is Sean Young's character from the first one. And there was this really cool moment where they were in a lab examining these bones and this really creepy kind of mortician guy yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was was digging in and Ryan Gosling said, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. And they actually found her old Tyrell serial number in, like inside the crack of the bones that they yeah. determined was created by childbirth. Yep. Mind blown. All this stuff kind of developed right within the first... 20 to 30 minutes of the film and it really set the course for where we were going to go we were on a mission to find this child that supposedly a replicant had given birth to and died in the process of giving birth to it as you know this creepy mortician guy figured out that it was going to be it was done by emergency c-section we found all these slash marks right is this Batista's baby is this Harrison Deckard's baby whose baby is this so the overall story of the mission is whose baby is this? Who and, had a baby? Yeah, we got to find this. Like, we have to find this basically this replicant baby because that's never happened before. Yeah. So we want to figure out, and there's, and then we find out that there's two sides of this. There's not just the the government slash uh, t- new Tyrell Corporation, which is now the uh, what is it? The it's the Wallace. Yeah, the Wallace Corporation with Jared Leto's character. And by the way, Jared Leto, as much as we've given him, just like we've raked him over the coals for his Joker performance. Yeah. His performance in this was. Spot on, and and the scene with him and Harrison Ford uh, later in the movie with with like there's just just this amazing like um, uh, water like business room I'll call it where they <laughs> they just have like a sort of like a sparring session between the two of them and he's talking to him about you know the past and we have this huge reveal of Rachel she comes back in like uh, in 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 Android form and walks right up to Harrison Ford. We start to see Harrison Ford react to this, you know, Deckard's, this is the woman he loved. So then we're starting to think, is it like, wait, she had the kid and is it Harrison Ford's kid? Is he a replicant? Like there's this, all these like questions just start like germinating in our heads and, and we just don't know. So I, I the thing I liked about this movie and we we're talking about uh, the, the things that stood out to me, I like the fact that you just don't know the whole time that the mystery is still unraveling as you're going, but you're also caring about the characters enough that you kind of want to see what happens. But then there's the side of you like, well, do I really need to care about these characters? Cause they're just robots or are they like, that's that like classic, like blade runner thing. So to me, I was, I was all wrapped up in it. What did you think? Well, I want to go back and talk about something. You mentioned Jared Leto and his, his character. And I, there was one key scene where he had this big monologue and they had just birthed this new model. Uh, oh, a, yeah, a yeah, replicant. yeah, 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 and it's really cool. You see her drop down out of the bag with all the goo, yeah. the, the <laughs> robot goo. I, just, I don't know what it is. Robot ooze. Right? Sure. Uh, and he does this big monologue and explains that they, they have now have operations on nine off-world colonies. And I thought this was a really cool concept outside of the scope of the Blade Runner world that they're in. Dystopian San Angeles, whatever it is. And it, what he begins to describe is that the mission of the film or his mission as a company is they can't manufacture replicants fast enough to populate 
labor for all of these off-world colonies. And they've heard rumblings of this birth, this childbirth that's happened by a replicant. So they think they can fi- they can't figure out how to get replicants to reproduce. Now that they've heard about this one that has, it's this whole new mission for him to go on to find this child. All right, and that's really what we go down. We end up going down this rabbit hole of who's the kid, who had the kid, who's the father of the kid, is it a boy or a girl? There's all of these kind of existential questions that are answered, but that was the trigger point for me of the film. That was the kickoff, kind of the act one to act two kind of. Yeah, that's all right, a really good point. Now we're going uh, because everything else from that point on is about who the, who is the replicant kid, right? And I I love that we didn't really go back to that mission other than the confrontation with Leto and Harrison Ford trying to goad him with a copy of Sean Young, of Rachel yeah. uh, in that scene you were just referring to. Uh, we didn't really go back to that kind of mission statement other than those kinds of steps to try and figure that mission out, right? And that's what really the whole second hour and a half to two hours of the film was, was that. And it developed so very well paced. That's the one thing that I took away from this is it was – I, I thought that it was going to be just whiz, bang, bang, blockbuster, modern day, fast food kind of thing going into it. And that moment that I had at the beginning, I was just like, okay, that we're going to enjoy this because it's Ridley Scott, master of visuals. It's Denis Villeneuve, who is right up there with him, as we've seen in Arrival, he's capable of doing. And we're going to have this entire two-hour journey through from set piece to set piece to set piece. And they were, I, I just the whole time I was sitting there going, Wow. Wow! Yeah, just you, it's just like a it's like a feast for your eyes. It is, and Roger Deakins has to get credit. The cinematography in this movie is absolutely breathtaking. It's it's it should be nominated if not win. I, I see that right now. It's that and Dunkirk are the two movies visually that have just absolutely blown me away. This one well, especially. Seen Star Wars yet? Yeah, I mean, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's I, not going to win the cinematography yeah, award. I, it never does. But the other thing that you mentioned is this whole mystery. There's, I mean, there's a there's a majority of this movie once we find out instead on this path of them trying to find this baby where we think that it's Gosling yeah, or Kay. And then we find out that it's not. And then like, there's the big, like kind of like sixth sense sort of twist ending. Yeah. There was this moment towards the, probably kind of the twisting of the end. And it's kind of where I started to go. Uh, and I started to get a little bit when we get into the nitpicks. Yeah. When, when I start getting into and I want to, I want to be clear. That's why I said that at the beginning. I think this is a four and a half star film It's fantastic on every category. But if we're getting into the nitpicks, this is where it started to lose me. And I think I even said, uh, Denis is doing it again to me with the kid thing at the end. Like, just like he did with Arrival, right? You've spent two and a, almost two and a half hours building this up, and you're going to end it on a kid thing. There was a moment where Ryan Gosling meets a rebel group of replicants underground, and they've kidnapped him or rescued him, depending on how you look at it. Sure. It's yet another existential thing that you yep. could draw some conclusions around. But he begins to tell them or, or imply to them that he thinks he's the kid. He thinks he is the one that is the replicant child. And she goes, oh, no. Oh, no. We, it's not you. It was a female. I was there. We all have that memory. We all think it was us, meaning all replicants, which I implied as maybe that's a default memory that all replicants get implanted into them. What do you read into that? I don't know, but that's what I took away from it. So at that point, it kind of took the air out of it for me because now I don't care about Gosling anymore. I he's not the replicant kid. Now he's just another replicant. 
So good point. Yes, his mission is still intact. Where he then his whole mission for the rest of the film is I got to get Harrison Ford. I got to get Deckard back to see who the real kid is. Now that we figured it out, which was the only thing that really surprised me in this movie. And I remember going, "Oh no way!" That it was the memory girl, right? In the in the uh, enclosed room, right? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Again, <laughs> right. We've warned you at the beginning. But at that point, like once you find out he's not the the kid, you're kind of like, oh, but like everything has already been set in motion at that point where you you want to know at this point, like, okay, because I don't think we've met Harrison Ford at this point. No, we haven't. So like the whole time you're like, you're like, oh, he's not the kid, but we still haven't seen Deckard. Maybe you'll have something that, like we got to get to him. We got to get to, you know, him so they can talk and we can see these two screen legends, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like he'll know. And then we get to him and he doesn't know or he doesn't really like reveal it. And then that leads to the, the them finally getting back to the to the Wallace Corporation. There is like the MacGuffin, which is the the thing that they're chasing that we don't know what it is, and that's the who's the kid thing, right? But there's like there's not like a, a true villain. There's not like somebody that's chasing them until we get to the Deckard scene. Does that make sense? Yes, the the girl in white. I forget her character name. Uh, love, the, sure, love, which is uh, Wallace's assistant, and she's like a badass Bond villain, basically that runs around and can kick people's asses really quickly she's sort of always kind of nipping at our heels. But we don't actually see them chasing him. Right. So we, we, we get that moment where he meets Deckard and like, there's just like this really cool production design there in this old casino and the two of them meeting and sort of discussing stuff and him trying to figure out like, it's almost like, like, are you my dad, but you're not my dad or like you, like, like it's this weird, like, I, I don't know, but we, we finally get to the, it, it's tough to just like talk about this movie because there's so much that is left to your own interpretation, yes. just like the original film. Which is uh, immediately, I think we both said it when we got out. Like, I want to go see it again. I want to like like take more out of it and like try to pick up the pieces. But there aren't really like pieces that are like definitive clues that lead you to certain things. But there are. That to me is is what speaks so highly about this movie is that it is a sort of like it's as if Ridley Scott gave the keys to the kingdom to Denis Villeneuve and he made his own sort of take on it. Like what would happen thirty years from when that other movie happened, and you could tell as you're watching this movie, how big of a fan he was and how Absolutely. honest and true he was to that source material and then took it on his own. Especially when you hear, I think you showed me something where Ridley Scott has said definitively, Deckard is a replicant, right? That's the big age-old debate from the first movie. Deckard's a replicant. There's the unicorn thing at the end that I put in the final cut that basically tells you without telling you, right? Yeah. But Danny Villeneuve, sitting right next to him in this interview that we saw, said, no, he's not. I mean, my, you know, in my version, he's not. We, we still don't know. And there's never a time in this movie where they say definitively that Deckard is a replicant. So Nor do they about Ryan Gosling's character. Uh, they kind of well, no, they do the whole like well, he the, does have a serial. They do number. like the whole test thing, like all the yeah, stuff yeah, that they yeah, would yeah. do with the replicant. So he's definitely one. Yeah. But Deckard, we still don't know. So in theory, the daughter that we finally see at the end, who's the autoimmune girl that's creating all these memories for the Wallace Corpor- or Corporation, in this like like ironic twist is the daughter of Deckard and Rachel from the first movie. We Who know, Wallace is looking for. Right. So we know, we know for a fact that <laughs> Rachel is a replicant, right? Yes. So we know for a fact that that kid came from a replicant. So yes. that's the thing. Yes. Whether or not it came from like human bodily fluids in a replicant or replicant bodily fluids in a replicant, we don't know. But a replicant gave birth to a child, period. Exactly. And that's that. That means they have reproductive organs. That means they can procreate. Right. That's the big deal for me. And what that's that was my big takeaway. But I really don't care and don't want to know whether or not Harrison Ford's a replicant or not. Don't care. Doesn't I, matter. I don't care either. And I like the fact that there can be this debate until the end of time about yeah. it. Uh, I think I was watching a, a review by uh, Mark Kermode of BBC, and he said something that was pretty awesome. Where 
the beauty of, of Blade Runner 2049 was that it not only protected and, and built upon this existential right. enigma of whether or not he was a replicant, but it also allowed it to endure. It allowed it to continue and go on. So just the fact that uh, Ridley Scott and Denis Villeneuve are still to this day arguing about whether or not uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Harrison Ford's character of Deckard was or was not a replicant is half of the marketing uh, to me as a sci-fi geek. Yeah. Like, I want to go in and ex- examine it myself. And ah, You're wrong. No, it's Exa- not. Exactly. He's a replicant. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not. Deckard. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I Like you said before, this is one of those films where I can count on one hand the number of times I've walked out of a movie and gone and said, I want to go right back in and watch that again immediately. I want to turn right back around by another ticket and go right back in. Yeah. I, I can't remember the last time I did that with a film. I wanted to do that today. And had we not had this podcast and other things to do today, I would have done so. Uh, and maybe even a third time. I am dying to see this film again. I'm dying to go back in with a little bit more of a critical eye now that I've been exposed to it. And it, it's fan-freaking-tastic. Definitely see this film on the big screen. Yes, absolutely. If you could even do the IMAX 3D or whatever, the biggest possible screen and the visuals the full experience. stunning. Yeah. I have not seen production and, and sets like this. And that's one of the things Ridley's known for. Even though he only executive produced i'm doing air quotes his influence was in this film i don't certainly you are that's what he does is he builds sets like this and i mean you look at like just the just blade runner in general like how many like like the fifth element is like a perfect example like the whole thing with the flying cars and the city and all that sort of stuff that's directly a ripoff of blade runner totally um even things we see in like some of our video games like mass effect or destiny that has like the the pyramid the dark sort of city look that that like that sort of like obelisk thing that was sort of prevalent in in Blade Runner 1 and a little bit in this one too. It's this awesome sci-fi universe. And yes, I talked about like that I didn't like the first movie again, but would you say, and I know you haven't watched it in a while, but I'll say that this movie actually makes the first movie better. It makes it kind of relevant almost. Yes. It makes it one story. Like the, I can see both of those being one massive storyline. Yeah. And one of the things that we talked about was, did this film leave the doors wide open to create an entirely new universe of sorts absolutely franchise i guess is a better word uh of what about all the off-world planets yeah right what are they doing colonies right does this turn into aliens where they're colonists and what about the rebel group that like is trying to find it like what are they all doing like what about the kids that are the the kids in this sweatshop like what are what's their whole purpose like what where are they going to be at certain point like what's wallace's thing He, he obviously wants to get uh the 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 replicants to procreate so he can make more replicants you know without having to actually manufacture them sure but like that character doesn't go away. That character still exists. His his arch nemesis or his uh, his sidekick, the Bond villain, Love, she's gone. Maybe you know after this awesome sequence at the end. Again, water. Don't worry about the drought. Uh, it could go anywhere. So what we've done is we've taken an old sci-fi movie, we've made a new sci-fi movie, which the two of us are already going to say it's revered. I don't think I've met or talked to anybody that's seen it of the sci-fi people that I know that would say, oh no, it's not good. Don't go see it. You know what I mean? Like it. It's it it sets the table for a future of and that's the world we live in now too. Yes. It's the Blade Runner universe. We could go do this. Like, what's the Gosling character? And we don't know if Gosling's even dead at the end of this. He might be. He's on the steps, and we he might be dead. He might not be dead. I don't know. You know, we could make another movie with him, or you could just have another replicant and just have him chase. Like, it could be anybody. It's it's completely open to interpretation at this point. Is it the box office going to be like what dictates that? I don't know. But, I think so. But. I, I, Hollywood's I, driven I, by I, money. I definitely want to see this movie again, but I also kind of want to see more. 
Don't you? Like, don't you want to see more? Like, don't Absolutely. you want to see Wallace come to, to come to like some giant showdown, like Luke Skywalker Vader style with like either K or some future replicant, maybe played by, I, I don't know, some other person. I, I like, I want, I want like they're, they're, I want more. That's what it is. I well, want more. Therein lies a lot of my little nitpicky, like super nitpicky, why I didn't give it a five-star film is because of all of these holes that are left gaping wide open. And Denis did another kid ending thing with me like he did in Arrival. There are so many unanswered questions in this film. And I don't want to say plot holes, but I'll, I'll leave it as open opportunities, at least until I get to see it again. I want to know more about the Wallace Corporation. I want to know more about the off-world colonies. I want to know more about his efforts in the different models. This giant sets that they kept taking us to at one after the other told us nothing about them. You, but part of that at the same time is just letting the audience go with it mm-hmm. and assuming that they're smart enough to figure it out. While I appreciate that, I'm a very verbose individual, and I would have sat there and watched a six-hour version of this film sure, just to see all of this stuff developed properly. I feel like, I don't want to say I was cheated, but I feel like I was cheated a little bit in some of the exposition of some of these set pieces where I felt like we were just going from set piece to set piece to set piece yeah. and, and, and just little bit of conversation that we moved over to the next one ah yeah i mean this tell me more this has this has like long form tv series written all over Oh god yes oh man if they're gonna make a thing about stephen king's castle rocky they can make one about blade runner jesus christ uh do we is this something we want though is it do we we have to sit back and as film guys understand and recognize that there have been many attempts to do many, many sequels of certain franchises that have just gone way downhill and cratered the entire franchise, Transformers. But do we want this to continue? Do we? Is it? Are we okay leaving this kind of existential enigma out there for people to argue about for generations? Or do we want to see, or are we gluttons for punishment and we want to see this continue? In the right hands, yes. Yeah. But that's that's the caveat. It has to be sort of like, you like I said, you can tell that Villeneuve is a fan of this. That he was, he was. It, it's like when they gave JJ the the keys to the Star Wars kingdom, and he is like a fan, and he took that ball and ran with it, and they gave it to Ryan Johnson next, and said, "Go make the second Star Wars movie." And from all you know, everything we're seeing, it's going to be great as well. It honors the the source material and just expands on it. So maybe you have another sci fi director that's that's. If it's not Villeneuve, it's, it could be somebody else, but it's, it, it needs to be in the right hands, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, it is Sony Columbia, so they've got it as far as I'm concerned, and they could potentially run this forever. Uh, Ridley's getting up there. That's the only thing that concerns me. Um, he's probably not far off from making his last film, Yeah. Uh, as is, you know, we've talked about John Williams for a while, speaking of Star Wars. So, yeah, I, I think where I stand is uh, while I am fine with it as it is and and being a a coffee table discussion point or over beers or something like that you know it'll be geek arguments for eons there's part of me an inner geek that wants to see this turned into some kind of uh tv series i think you said was a great example of a way that you could continue to expand this out i think the sky or even the sea is the (laughs) limit with this one uh and i can't wait to see another one but 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 before i see another one i definitely want to go see this movie again four and a half five stars i agree with that uh, it is a spectacle. It is a great piece of cinema, and I can't wait to see it again. I'll I will leave you with wow. Yeah. That's just that was the visuals alone. Just wow, all all day long. 
So you've heard our thoughts on this movie, but like like always, we want to know what you think. Tell us what stood out to you. Tell us what you liked, what you didn't like. Tell us what you think we think is great that's not. Whatever it is, reach out to us. We want to know what you think, right? So I guess we're done with that for now. <laughs> for now, until for we now, watch it until again. we go see it again. Yeah. So I guess, Nick, how was your week? Uh, well, as much as we raved last week about uh, film scores, we have to recap. Did you do your homework assignment? I absolutely and listen did. To the Oblivion soundtrack, I absolutely did. I was driving around town doing a bunch of errands, and I listened to the entire score. Uh, it is fantastic. Makes me want to watch the movie again. So I'm going to put that on my list this week. Nice. I, I will say though that it's still very like I feel like it rips off a lot of the Hans Zimmer Dark Knight score, but on its own. It is fantastic. So Oblivion score, thumbs up for me. And again, I want to see the movie again. Did you do your homework and do the uh, do the Trevor Jones cliffhanger score? I did. I did. There is a definite theme throughout that entire soundtrack that identifies. So one of the things we were harping on last week was iconic themes that latch on and you know you can instantly yep. identify it. Trevor did land one just that is constantly repeated, <laughs> almost as if it's a coda of all the different pieces, right? Yeah. yeah. Whatever that is. Yep. So I got to go do some rock climbing. Yeah, it's exactly. (laughs) That wasn't what I thought at all when I was listening to that. But no, it it did repeat itself. It was very good. Uh, Not not my favorite, but uh, it was enjoyable. Yeah. One I forgot to mention last week uh, that I should have given you the homework on, which I know you know, is James Horner is known for like a, a Titanic and Braveheart and a bunch of stuff. If you get a chance. Listeners, I know you know this one. Go back and listen to James Horner's score for The Rocketeer, that Disney movie from like the early 90s. It is hands down his best score. Yep. Well, since you asked, I played lots of Destiny 2. Me too. That's kind of what I've been doing. I did watch Oblivion again since we, uh, it kind of triggered me for all the discussion last week to go see it again. I actually watched it twice. Nice. Um, played lots of Destiny 2. We had our Hell in a Cell pay-per-view on <laughs> Sunday for yeah. some wrestling stuff. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing a recap of that tomorrow over on Busted Wide Open. So Can't sure wait to hear that. that out. Uh, and for a combination of my uh, impending 40th birthday this Ooh. month, and my what is now known as my annual GTFO of the country trip right. that I'm doing on an annual basis now. I'm headed to Cabo San Lucas Oh, uh, for a week coming up here uh, starting Saturday. So while that's all good news, unfortunately, we will not have an episode next week. Oh, Jenna. Oh. But we will be back forthwith uh, beyond that. I believe that's the 22nd. Yeah. Yeah. So new episode then. Andy, 23rd. what about you? Um, I went to, I talked about it last week. I went to the Shriek Fest. It's a LA like horror film festival, yeah. which my brother's movie was in. So I got to see Mercy Christmas again uh, for the second time. Uh, it was cool to see it. Uh, it was over at Raleigh Studios, which is kind of over by Paramount, um, kind of that mid Hollywood area. So it's just a collection of people watching horror movies and Ryan's movie. Uh, it's his birthday today, by the way. Hey, happy, happy birthday, birthday Ryan. Um, it opened uh, it opened the the festival and I got to watch it with him and a couple of the cast members a couple of the crew members and it was kind of neat to hear and you saw it with the first time when we went it was kind of neat to see like different reactions to different scenes uh because I think the first time we went it was a lot of people who were involved with the movie where this one was a lot more of an audience that was fresh and maybe had not seen it before so the reactions to certain things were really kind of interesting and the thing that's cool about that movie and when we'll get into it in a month when um when it when it hits a uh, video on demand and we'll probably have Ryan on to talk about it Woo-hoo! um uh the thing that's cool about that movie, if you like scary movies, but you like comedy, that like it really plays with your like emotions of like, I don't know, I should laugh right now or be scared. So it, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of that. Um, and then yesterday was my anniversary. So uh, my wife and I went out to a fantastic steak dinner at Masters. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. 12 years. Uh, Good uh, God, man. I know. You were there. Uh, Happy a, anniversary, Amy. Yeah. Uh, love you. Um, so... 
the other thing for me, like uh, sports mode is engaged for me because I had uh, the NHL season started yeah. uh, last week. My hockey season started and we won our first game four to two. Cubs are in the playoffs. Yeah, the Cubs are in the playoffs. They won again. So like this is like sports mode. But I also played Destiny too. But yeah, my week was sports and, and, and Destiny. So there you go. Outstanding. So let's go down and do some quick hits because yeah. there was some news that came out. We oh. had New York Comic Con happen this weekend. We had uh, the, there was a big Liverpool horror fest going on that the, right. our friends, the Super right. Nerds UK, were at and in attendance. They got to meet Jace, the Jason characters and all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, some big ones that I took away, mostly out of New York Comic Con. Uh, the first one was Keanu Reeves was on a panel. I believe it was for the John Wick films. Probably, yeah. And he was asked several questions. The first of which was that apparently there's a new Matrix movie reboot in development. Yeah, something like the Animatrix type stuff that was done, Yeah, I think, maybe. So when he was asked about it, the audience started to boo, <laughs> and he basically held the microphone up and went, Yep, that's kind of what I think. <laughs> I know nothing about him. His words, I know nothing about a Matrix reboot. If it's happening, I'm not a part of it. All right. So there's that. Uh, the second yeah, whoa. The second thing is Bill and Ted 3. Nice. Apparently, there is a script. Okay. Right? And it's uh, Bill and Ted 3 married with children. I would see that in a heartbeat. Right. He, he exclaimed that he really hopes it get ma- gets made before he turns 60, uh, but, you know, 50-50 as to whether or not yeah. it actually gets made. No but, pun intended. Right. Because he's 50. Uh, and, of course, because of the panel he was on, they were asked about John Wick 3, a third installment. So his remarks were, it's absolutely in development. Uh, John's in a lot of trouble. As uh, If you've seen John Wick 2, the ending, he leaves him mm-hmm. in, a, in a bit of a pickle. Yep. Him Duke boys in a pickle Yep. So that is fantastic that they're going to continue to make those films because they are some of my favorite movies of the last couple of years. Me too. So we got a couple of other trailers outside of The Last Jedi. I want to start with Pacific Rim. Did you see it? I did. Yeah, I, I love the first movie, and not a lot of people do, but like that, like if you say giant robots with people inside them driving them versus giant monsters and a bunch of like, that's all I need to hear. Like it's basically Transformers against Godzilla yeah. in a weird way. Um, this movie is not a Guillermo del, uh, del Toro movie, but... Uh, the trailer works for me. It, it seems like they hit all the sort of notes. The only thing I'll say about the trailer that is different than Pacific Rim 1 is it seems like it's daytime a lot more in Pacific Rim yeah. 2, right? Pacific Rim 2, all like all that stuff seemed to like happen at night and be dark and like have like For a really... The first one you mean. Right. But yeah, exactly. So Pacific Rim 2 looks like it's bright. And we've got uh, John Boyega in it from uh, Force Awakens and all the Star Wars universe. Yeah, actually, no Charlie Hunnam this yeah, time. Actually using God. his real British accent, which is nice. Uh, looks like uh, Charlie Day is still back from uh, from yeah. So uh, yeah, it's that'll modern be modern day Bobcat Goldthwait. Exactly, that'll be out next year. I'm excited about that. Now, the other one we need to talk about is Last Jedi. No, we already oh, did we that. already did. Yeah, the Justice League trailer, which was like topic of conversation for about 24 hours until Last Jedi. Now nobody's going to talk. We just about talk about Last Jedi again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The Justice League trailer it was it was great. There was this opening sequence. Was it though? You nope. say that is a throwaway, I but like it wasn't. It. I like it because they did the opening sequence with Henry Cavill, which proves that he's in the movie as Superman, sort of, but not really. You've right? been redeemed. Finally. I know. I know. He's in it, and there's like a dream sequence but where he wasn't he's, Black Superman. I, you know what I mean by that, like yeah. in the black suit and stuff. But yeah, sure. But but uh, it seems like this trailer was a lot of the same. Of like, here's them fighting in CG, and Aquaman's like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna beat him up because I'm Aquaman. Like, he's a what is he? Sure, I have no idea. But there's a there like it feels like Whedon might have done that like flashback funeral scene, maybe. Uh, maybe he's a part of that. Like the, the tone's better, but it's still just like death and destruction and it's still dark and CGE. So I, I don't know. What do you think? I think that it is very, very clear to me that Josh Whedon has his hands on this project. Uh, it is a much more uh, 
detailed and storified trailer rather than just a spot, 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 spot. Good point. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. The first couple that we yep. saw, it, you, you can definitely tell that there's a through line for from through the two and a half minutes of this trailer, uh, and it, of course, it opens up with the fan service that everybody wants to see, and that is Clark Kent standing out in a cornfield in Nebraska. Yep, with Lois Lane right there with him. So, of course. Now we know, uh, yes, it does have Jason Momoa yeah, just being <laughs> flying around and throwing spears into people, but that's fun to, to an extent. We'll see how it plays out in the movie, but I, I'm not any more excited to see this film than I was, wasn't was already having seen the yeah, previous it didn't. Trailers. it didn't blow it, me away like, oh my God, it's going to be better than we thought, or it's going to be worse than we thought. It wasn't that. It was just yeah. like, yay, more Justice League. Great. Here's the best part about that. It's only like five weeks away. And yeah. on the flip side, Thor is only three weeks away three and a half weeks okay so that's like we're while those movies seem far away they're actually getting closer so in the next is, 60 days we're gonna get uh thor ragnarok justice league and last jedi yep <laughs> geek gasm hey uh <laughs> one more your faces one more thing in a bit of a disturbing but not really disturbing news uh re- re- it regards our old friends at netflix we heard something about them this uh. week Yes, apparently. Well, I can't be mad at this. I want to be clear about this. Okay. I'm going to take a negative stance on this initially, but I want to be clear that I ain't mad at it. Okay. Uh, because I think it needed to be right-sized and, and level-set for a long time now. I think people have been getting $9.99 Netflix while they've been off creating crazy amounts of original content for years now. The news is Netflix is going to raise their prices uh, on all three tiers that they have. And they do have three. Currently, it's $7.99, $9.99, and $13.99. And that the most popular one is the $9.99, which allows you to get the HD stream. Right, and you can and you can, uh, download to two devices or something like that? Sure. Or you whatever. Can have sure. Two devices, sure. but whatever. The, the $13.99 one is, allows you to do the 4K streams, okay. right? That's really the only difference between the two. What they're doing is taking the nine ninety nine and moving up to eleven ninety nine, and the thirteen ninety nine is going up to fourteen ninety nine, I believe. What that does is twofold. One, it takes the nine ninety nine package and level sets it to what Hulu is with no ads. Okay, right? Yeah, good point. So you can have, now have Hulu for twelve bucks and Netflix for twelve bucks. I think that's fantastic. I'm fine with that. I ain't mad at it. Like I said, the four K one I think is going to go up to fifteen bucks a month. Yeah, fourteen ninety nine. That's starting to get into HBO territory. Yeah, that that is what HBO now costs to buy. They're not producing HBO amounts of content yet, and I, I that one kind of. But I understand the. I'd 4K argue they're producing thing. more. What's that? I'd argue they're producing more original content than HBO is. Mm, if you if arguable you say, okay if you say HBO is Game of Thrones, uh, John Oliver uh ballers uh, like they have enough shows i think netflix has the same number of shows if not more that they're doing original yep. that's that's my argument vice and they have the licensing rights for uh, tons of films sure. they've got like every movie on hbo now yeah. that you can watch yeah um so it's yeah maybe it's comparable who knows i don't know if hbo now supports 4k without looking it up i, I you know i'm just throwing it out there i don't think so we got down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but I guess what I wanted to say is I'm okay with this pricing. Me too. Me I too. think it's oh, it's it's deserved. It's owed. Whatever word you want to use, right there. Uh, but at the same time, look at what they've got coming out. Right. A whole new season of Stranger Things. They've got a new Marvel series and The Punisher coming out in the next couple of months. Maybe uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Daredevil is probably right around the corner next year sometime. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff coming. The way I look at it is like. People are like, what? They're raising their prices. So it's $2 a month at the most that you're going to be from your current plan. That's $24 a year. That's two movies in a theater. 
right? Are you telling or me you, one if you, you telling me you can't Angeles. spend twenty four extra dollars a year on Netflix for all the content that they're giving you? I don't think it's a big deal. Damn it, I don't watch all that stuff. I know, rubble, uh, rubble, I know, rubble, I know, rubble, but I agree rubble. with you that it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Any anytime you raise a price on something, people are gonna be like, hey, you know, but yeah. like, but still, I'm okay with it. How are they gonna go? Hey, uh, one last thing. Um, we have given this guy the riot act over the last couple of weeks and months of this show. Uh, Mr. Denny, we have called him and just raked him over the coals. But we have now done an entire show raving about a movie that this guy did. Sure. And I will say Denny Villeneuve, the real way you should, I think you're supposed to pronounce your name. Denny Villeneuve. Sure. You, sir, because of what you've done with Blade Runner and made it relevant again and made me actually like the first movie a week after seeing it and being like, I don't like it and creating a new sci-fi world that is absolutely uh, a place you want to live in, a place you are immersed in, literally in water. Uh, I will give you, sir, and I know you're going to be along with me, the Stone Cold Salute. I said, give me a hell yeah. Talk about a 180 for that guy. The Stone Cold Salute. of arrival still sucks. Uh, you will have that argument till the end of time. Hmm. Well, guys, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, look, some shows you should check out this week for sure, some specific episodes. Our other show on the Orbital Jigsaw Network, 41 Owned Gaming, discussed cross-platform gaming oh. and how that might potentially be a, a real thing in the future. Both nice. the publishers want to do it, but Sony and Microsoft have other ideas. They like their exclusivity sure kind of stuff, do. right? Which is something we used to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, myself and Sir Ian Dangerous are going to do a full recap tomorrow on the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view over nice. on the Busted Wide Open podcast. So be sure and check that out. And if history is your thing, head on over to the Orbital Jigsaw Network and check out uh, the Dirty Bits podcast, where Tawny Plattis has just finished doing a three-part series on the Tudors. Oh, wow. It's a lot of fun. Uh, she really breaks it down, tells you all the salacious, dirty details of Henry VIII. I am Henry VIII. I am. Yeah. So definitely head over and check those out at orbitaljigsaw.com. Guys, if you like what we're doing here on the concession stand, we would absolutely love your support, and we really want to do more of it. Like our Blade Runner review today, we would love to take those into their own full-hour comprehensive movie reviews. We want to put those up on Patreon. So head over to patreon.com slash concession stand. Drop a, throw a dollar in the tip jar. Sign up to do a uh, Skype call with me and Andy. We yeah. can hang out, talk about movies and comics, whatever you guys like. Maybe if you have questions about the movie industry here in Los Angeles, you can certainly throw your questions at us that way. Uh, also, over on Facebook, you can find us. Just search for The Concession Stand Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter, at Concession Stand. Or you can send us an email, cs at orbitaljigsaw.com. Hey, don't forget about the merch store. You can buy coffee mugs, iPhone cases, notebooks, sweatshirts, whatever with our Popcorn Man logo on it. Get some! Yeah, orbitaljigsaw.com slash store. You can head over there and get some hoodies. All kinds of good stuff. Yeah. But I'm Nick Howell. You can find me over on Twitter at DataCenterDude. And I'm Andy Nelson. You can find me at AndyNelson76, also on Twitter. But until next time, later! Bye! This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.